Ritzadok Akon, in Sefer Preet Tzadik, cites a famous medrash that everybody knows. When Hashem is Baruch wanted to create the world, he asked Sholom was a good idea, he asked Chesed was a good idea, and he asked Emes was a good idea. And the start of the whole tumult between Emes and Chesed and Sholom, and Chesed said, yes, it's a good idea to make the world because human beings are capable of chesed. Fine. Sholem said, do me a favor. These people are just going to argue and fight all the time. Absolutely not. So chesed said no. And Sholem said yes. Sholem said no. And then what else do we have? Chesed and Emes. Emes said, you've got to be kidding. Are you going to make them? So famously the Medrash says Hashem took Sholem and threw it onto the earth. How does that help? The yeses are still outnumbered by the noes. So he says a very interesting thing. He says if there is emes in the world, if there's a, and the lotion is very crucial for what we're going to talk about tonight. He says if there's a bechina, an aspect of emes in the world, then there's a possibility of Sholem. Then there's a possibility of Sholem. So therefore, at that point, you now have Sholem going over to the side of Chesed, and therefore that justified the creation of human beings. I think I've mentioned to you before the most exciting sentence I know in the language is the words, or the sentence, I don't know. I don't know is a wonderful sentence, because I don't know is an invitation to find out and to know. There's always a big problem when you're saying shi'orim. Sometimes you find the kasha, you work a lot in finding the answer, it turns into a big shear. you get very excited, you say the shear maybe 10 times, and when you said the shear 10 times, kvaldik, then it gets a little bit boring. You've said it, you're almost like an actor performing the script. On the other hand, it's good Torah, but you've said so many times. But what's really exciting is when you say it for the first time, because, or the second time, because then you get a chance to polish it, and it's new, and it's exciting. So for me, the most exciting sentence is, I don't know. That means I say, I'm going to find out, I'll do the research. I don't know. A young man came to see me, uh, last week actually, and this is a boy who comes from a Frum background. Uh, I think if I remember, remember right, he's 24. Um, family of Rabonim, and he is, as they say, off the D. Have you heard that expression? I hadn't heard that one before. He's off the D. So somebody in the family phoned him up and said, would I be willing to speak to this fellow? He'd heard me speak, and he liked the jokes. So Ken Zion, you know, it might be appropriate for him to come and speak. I said, sure. And he came to see me, and he sat down. Now, I think you all know that there are two types of questions that people have. The famous story of Reb Chaim Volozhin, who had a Talmud at the time of the Haskalah, when they went round the yeshivas and the litter, telling people, with your cop, with your seichel, with your intellect, are you crazy sitting, freezing yourself to death in this cold place? Go to Berlin, then you can use your incredible brain to become a professor, and then, you know, and what you want to do at home? Fine, you can be a Jew. What was the, what was the reform phrase? Uh, a Jew in the house and a German in the street, that sort of thing. Yeah. One of the Talmudim of, of uh, Rav Chaim Volozhin did exactly that. He went off the derech, he became a professor in Berlin, 
and many years later he was going to some academic conference in Petersburg. The train was passing near enough that he could get off and go and see his old Rebbe. Reb Chaim took him in, they had a nice meal together, and afterwards they sat down to schmooze. And the professor said to the Rov, Rebbe, I've always had three big caches, three big shilas with Yiddishkeit. Maybe you can help me. To which famously Reb Chaim Voloshin turned around and said, tell me, did you have the caches before you went off the derech or after you went off the derech? After I went off the derech, said the fellow. In that case, said Reb Chaim, I can't help you. There are only answers to questions. There are no answers to answers. What did that mean? When any of us do something that we know is wrong, we feel guilty about it. Nobody likes to feel guilty. And therefore you justify what you've done wrong by rationalizing it and making, oh, I did it because of this, that, and the other. These weren't caches. These were the terutsim, the rationalizations that he'd come up with to justify the choices he'd made in his life. To which, as Rob said, there are no answers to answers, only answers to questions. So when the young man came to see me, I must admit my first concern, my first worry was that perhaps this is not really getting any questions at all. He's got answers, it's just Yoit's design. He was remarkably frank, remarkably honest, and I liked him a lot. He was a, a nice kid. And the questions that he had, he really had good questions. And I've come across this a few times, incidentally. If it is the fact that the guy's off the derech because he's got questions, gewaltig. Because if he's willing to listen, then we've got, we've got a solution to his problem. He had four questions. I wrote them down. Some of them were very gishmak. Some of them were not so gishmak. Well, it'd be interesting to see which ones you think were gishmak. This is one of his questions. He said, the planet Earth our planet rotates around the sun. The sun is a star. In the Milky Way, there is a gazillion stars. In the whole of the universe, there are countless stars. There is therefore millions and billions and trillions of planets like ours. Can you really argue that it makes any difference to the universe if I take a palm branch and a lemon and shake it like this, that, that, that? Interesting question, huh? So I said to him, not bad. You know, when I, when I used to be the, uh, the rabbi at the, the 14 universities in the northwest of England, uh, at the beginning of every university year, the thing called, in England they're called fresh, freshers, here they're called freshmen. And what you in this, of course you're all we're in Muncie, in case the people you know, going to watch this don't know this, Ir HaKadosh, I'm now about to corrupt them and use the word university. And there's a thing called a university. And people go to university in the first year, week they're there, then every single society in the world that you can imagine wants to get the new students to become part of their society. The scuba diving society. Okay? I joined that. Then there is the, then there is the um, parachute society. Oh, absolutely not. The idea of jumping out of a plane, no way. Uh, bungee jumping society. The Getting Drunk Society. That's not, a, that's not a joke. It's called the Rusty Nail Society. All they do is get drunk. The Medieval Banqueting Society. They dress up like Henry VIII and they eat whole chickens by hand. Gavaldic. I mean, 
Aren't you deprived if you didn't do this? Aren't you sad you didn't go to university? And I have to tell you, interesting. Whenever I walked in there, and I, I was there during the period of punk rockers. Do you remember those Michigan, with the sort of like shocking pink hair and the all the chains and stuff like that? And when I used to walk in, we're talking a hall with hundreds, thousands of people, and they're dressed up like witches and Asding. And I walk walk in, and they would, it was incredible. They all went because of my incredibly outrageous dress. <laughs> anyway, so I remember once it was during Sukkos, Kolomai and Sukkos, and I walked into Liverpool University, and it was in a huge big hall, there was mamish thousands of people there. They're all, it was mamish like crazy amsif. They're all getting out, out the way because of my terrible appearance. And I saw the Jewish stall, uh, which was in the distance, and my students. So they saw me coming, and they waved, and I waved. In my right hand, I was carrying my lulav and my esrog, my, my dalad, meaning because I wanted to uh, get them to, to shake the lulav and esrog. And uh, when I got there, they were all, I mean, I got on very well with my students. They were keen to see me. And uh, as I got nearer, they noticed what I was carrying in my hand. <laughs> they were so embarrassed. So embarrassed. A look, this is England, incidentally, gentlemen, not the United States of America, where people feel a little bit more relaxed about being Jewish. In England, they don't feel relaxed about being Jewish. And so I got there, where had you been for your vacation? Australia, Thailand, all the places that students go, because students never have any money. Um, and I'd gone just to Scotland. Uh, soft calls off. I said to them, would you like to take the lulav and estrog and give it a shockle? And, I mean, it was almost like Neville Pet. What will the going think? And so I said, no, take it and give it a shake. And it's, I'll, I'll do the... Bro- bro- horrifying. Now, the, the Jewish society stall was next to other stalls, and they're all positioned alphabetically. So the Jewish society stall is J. What's next to it? Oh, yes. The Islamic society, because that's I. So they're standing there arguing with me. I'm trying to argue with them that they should do this. And Muhammad from the the Islamic side, he says, take the thing and give it a shake. Don't be embarrassed. It's your religion. It's your right. Take it and give it a shake. They took it and gave it a shake. They wouldn't do it for Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein, but they do it from, for Muhammad from Pakistan. It's quite amazing. Maybe I said to this guy, the fact that you're just taking this lulav and esrog and shaking it is connecting you to your religion. Ask Muhammad. And you, is making you make a kesha to Hashem is bark. Maybe that's worth something. Hmm. Yeah, he had a, a little think about that. That was not so bad. Um, then he said, I wasn't even going to answer this one. He said to me, the world's full of tzoras because people make bad choices. They only make bad choices because they have Bechira. They only have Bechira. This boy was a friend boy, so he knows what he's talking about, Abyssal. They only have Bechira because Hashem created the world where you have choice so that you don't feel nema de kasufa, the bread of embarrassment for getting something for nothing. So couldn't Hashem have made it that we don't feel busha for nema de kasufa? Ooh, that's a good one. I remember, now that's big. We only had, ask me that towards the end. I remember as one speaking in London, an audience of a thousand people. I gave my talk, and then it's question time. And then the, the guy, the MC in charge of the evening, he said, right, we've got time for one last question. It's only three minutes, so anybody got a quick question? And somebody stuck up their hand and said, uh, why did Hashem let the Holocaust happen? <laughs> three minutes. 
Right? That's a, that's a big question. The answer to the question, could Hashem have created the world that we don't feel we don't feel embarrassment for getting something for nothing, and therefore we have to have choice? I said, I'll have to answer that when you come back. Incidentally, he borrowed one of my books. So I certainly hope you're coming back. Um, anyway, so Sof Sof, he had another two questions. The one was, of course, Sadik Baraloi. Everybody has that question. And the other one is, I thought this was, now this, tell me what you think of this one. He said, surely the idea of Oilam Habo, that's merely something that human beings made up so that, because life here is miserable, but to use his lotion, when we go upstairs, heaven is going to be peachy. Peachy. You heard that phrase? It's going to be kishmak. What do you think of that? What do you think of that question? I must admit I was disappointed in that question. That's a particularly stupid question. I'll explain to you shortly why. But anyway, Sof Kosov, he wanted to know about Sadik Viraloi. Who doesn't want to know about Sadik Viraloi? It is the quintessential challenge to anybody of faith. Whether you're Jewish or Lahavdi or non-Jewish, everybody is troubled by Tzadik Viraloi and Rosh Hashanah It's interesting. Which troubles you most? Tzadik Viraloi or Rosh Hashanah I have to tell you, I've been thinking about this. I think I'm more troubled by Rosh Hashanah than Tzadik Viraloi. Uh, but both are troubling in their own right. This is what upset him a lot. I said to him, and I think this is important, exactly what we just read in Ratzadik Akon. Ratzadik Akon said there was a machlokas between Sholem and Chesed and Emes. And Hashem sent Emes down into this world, but the Loshan is a bechina of Emes. Not the whole Emes. Just a little bit of the Emes. But not the whole picture. We don't see the whole picture. And when it comes to this troubling Shailah of Tzadik Araloi, Vashtetzach we don't see the whole picture. Do you remember, it was either the last time I was here or the time before that, we, uh, we were looking at uh, a famous, a famous uh, Rashi in the Gomorrah in Sanhedrin. It's in Kuf Aleph. And the Gomorrah there is talking about, talking just last week, Sedra. Moshe Rabbeinu goes on the Shlichus to save Kal Yisrael. Instead of things getting better, things get profoundly worse. Jewish babies are used, are stuffed into the holes in the walls that are, uh, which are left from insufficient bricks. And then he comes to Hashem Yisbarach and he says, Lama Which is why in this week's Sedra, there it says, V'yadaber Elohim El Moshe, Daber. Speaks harshly to him, because Moshe spoke harshly to, harshly to Hashem. Why he did, that's a subject for a different shear. But interesting, when it's talking here in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kufala Foma base about the babies that were stuck into the wall. Listen to this. It says the following thing. They put the babies, Babinian, Mamokim, Lavenak, and Mephorish, Bagodas, as the Medrash says. Sha'amaloi Moshe, Kodesh Barko. Moshe said to Kodesh Barko, Atari, Oisel, Amazai, you've done a terrible thing to the Jewish people. Sha'achavim, Enlahem, Lavenim. Now that you don't, we don't have any Lavenim, that's what's happening. Masima, Benim, Shalisrol, Babinian, they put the babies into the walls. Well, no. Amalai Kadesh Baruchu, Hashem Tanadrana says to him, Koitzim him. Koitzim him. Who wants to translate Koitzim? Thorns. Thank you. Thorns. Koitzim him. They are thorns. Makilan Shagola Lufana Ilohoya Chaim Hoya Rishon Gaburi. 
It's obvious to me, said Hashem is Baruch, that if these particular babies survived, they're going to grow up to be Rishon Gaburi. And if you want, you can go and take out one of those babies. Save one of the babies. And Moshe goes and takes out one of the babies. What Hashem told him, of course, came tragically true. The baby was called Micha. Micha grew up to set up an idolatrous shrine in Eretz Yisrael, advertised in the Jewish press for a couple of priests. And who, says the Gomorrah and Basra, who was it that answered the advertisement and became priest to Micha's Voidazara? Moshe had been his grandsons. So Hashem Taki knew what he was doing. But Raboy cites a pillar. Hashem says, I know what I'm doing, but if you want, you can save them. You can save one. And Moshe saves one! And Moshe saves one! If Hashem said to you, I know what I'm doing, it's going to grow up to be a bad child. In fact, they're going to be a big, uh, they're kites and they're going to be thorns in the sides of cloud destroyal. I'd say, fine, I'm done. I'm not worried anymore. And yet Moshe went and saved one. Fostutzach. Do you understand this? So if you remember, when we talked about this before, it struck me that the answer to this question is in the Gemara and Brochus and Dafyudah Medalev. And there we've got a different story about another conversation, this time between a king and a novi. And then it says the following thing, So in those days, Chizkiyoh was so sick that he was nearly going to die. So Hashem said to Yeshua to go um, to Yeshua Ben Amos to go and tell him a message. So that's how he got them both together. We won't go into why they weren't together. The Yomer, and he went, went over and said, Elov, Koyamar Hashem, this is the message, Your Majesty, I'm bringing from uh, Hashem. It's out of the base call, write your will, because you're going to die, and you're not going to live. We have some younger men here tonight. Gentlemen, what's wrong with the phrase, you're going to die, and you're not going to live? Sorry? Uh, so I asked the young men, and I noticed that you volunteered the answer, okay? Uh, but okay, it's double. It's, um, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase I've been trying to master since I moved to America in the last four years. I don't get it quite right. But it's something like, duh, right? <laughs> if you're going to die, guess what? You're not going to live. So what does it mean you're going to die and you're not going to live? So the Gemara goes on. What does it mean? So he says, oh, it means you're going to die in this world. And you're not going to live in heaven either. To which the king rather understandably says, Why am I getting such a terrible punishment? Because you never married in order not to have children. To which Kiskiyah turns around to Shio and says, because I could see with Ruach HaKadosh I'll go and have children who will be no good and will never go up. Which of course is what eventually he did. Who did he have? Menashe Melech Yisrael. Famously he says to him the Novi turns around and says to the king Bahadi the business of Hashem has nothing to do with you. What Hashem sees is going to happen, what Hashem wants to happen in the future, that's not your business. 
Your business is to do what the Torah tells you you should do. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have children. What happens with the children has nothing to do with you. You do your best, but ultimately, if they go off, they go off. You're still mechayv to, to, to do the mitzvah of getting married and having children. I think that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing as well. Hashem says to him, it's goloi lefonai. It's obvious to me that if these children grow up, they're going to be rishoy. But if you want, you can save one. Moshe Rabbeinu's responsibility in this situation is to save one. Why? Because the Torah says so. Hashem says, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Hashem, what did you say in the Torah that we get in Har Sinai? You've got to save lives. So I'm going to save a life. Was Hashem challenging him? I know. I think what Hashem was, de- was doing was simply allowing us to have the shear, to understand the aside from the shear. Moshe Rabbeinu knows this. In fact, Chazal say, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, Lama Hari Look, if Y.Y. Rubenstein can get this, if I understood that Hashem said to me, I know what I'm doing, then fine. I would leave it alone. Why is he, not, why, is he not, why is he not leaving it alone? To tell you that you've got to do what the Torah says. But more than that, I can't remember where I saw this, but it's a very important idea. And that is what Moshe Rabbeinu was really saying. It's, of course I know what you're doing. That you know what you're doing. But how do I sell it to them? How do I explain it to ordinary people? Sadik Miraloi. If you're Moshe Rabbeinu, you get Sadik Miraloi. There's such terrible things that happen in Klaus Roll. Today, you're scared to listen to the radio or open the newspaper, another attack, somebody else being stabbed with a knife in the air. It's a shock. But Hashem knows what he's doing. Moshe Rabbeinu gets that, but how do I explain it to ordinary people who see a child die in a fire or children die in a fire? It's happened in Brooklyn recently and terrible things that happen. How do I explain Sadiq Muralloy to other people? That's the M, it's the big child that everybody has to deal with. And because we only see a fraction of the emes, Hashem sent a bechina, an element of the emes into this world, it means you're only ever going to see a little bit, a fraction of it. And the emes, that's what, how the dialogue in the Gemara goes on. Kiskiyah turns around to Yeshua and says, give me your daughter. Give me your daughter. Maybe if I marry her, I can have children. He said, no point, said the Novi to the king. It's already been passed in Shemaim that you're going to die. And as she's stuck, to which Dovna Mela turns the tables on the Novi and says, Novi, forget your Nevius. I have Torah from my Zaydi Dovna Melech that even if your neck's on the block and you're about to have your head chopped off, you should never give up hope that you can be saved. Because you only see half of the... Well, if you, God forbid, if you had a head on a block with a guy standing over the sword, you would, say, you would think it's all over, No. You shouldn't give up even then. I can see that it's finished. You don't see the whole picture. You only, there's only a bechina of emes that comes into this world. And that, you remember about six months ago when we had our shir, but our going four back, I told you what Rechaim Friedlander says, why don't we say Hashem's name? Why don't we say Hashem's name? Yud Kei We say Adoinoi, which for Chinoch you can say, that's why I said it. Uh, which just simply means my master. But Yudke Vovke spells out something different. Now when we say the Shem Hashem, what does Yudke Vovke mean? What Mida is it defining? Mida is Rachamim. Yudke Vovke is Mida Rachamim, Elohim is Mida Sadim. Fine. So why don't we say the whole word? And of course, we all know that if you take the letters of Yudhe Vovke and rearrange them, get Hoya, Hoiver, Yiyah. Was Midas Arachamim, is Midas Arachamim, 
will be Midas Rachim. Are you with me? Are you getting this? You understand? Yeah. Do you understand Oshetz as being God's Midas Rachamim? Do you understand Dachau as being God's Midas Rachamim? Because you can't feel it, you don't see it. Instead, we say, Hashem, I don't know it. My master, I macabre it even though I don't get it. What that means is the basic Jewish position is I macabre it even though I don't get it. How can I get it? Because Emmas in this world is only a bechina of Emmas, it's only a fraction of the Emmas, and therefore naturally I can't see the whole thing. What Hashem Yisborach wants you to do. What he sees is something you can't see. So you only deal with what he told you to do. But don't try and second guess Hashem. Because we only see a little bit of the thing. Remember we talked about my Rosh Hashiv Rebled Guru that's asked the famous Kasha. The Torah was given to Claudius Roll, but offered to every Ummah in the world. And the Romans rejected it for what? And they could be Macabre 612 mitzvahs. Peliploim. There's only one mitzvah they couldn't get their head round. The Romans said, no, because of what? Don't kill. The Yishma'elim said, no, because of? Asignov. I would say maybe the other way about today, but never mind. Um, and then the Scots said, no, because of? You shouldn't get drunk. And so on and so forth. Each nation rejected and turned and Claudius Roll said, Nasavanishma. We pat ourselves in the back. We said Nasavanishma. We're blamed Gurevitz. The Rashi Gate said, asked an interesting question. Suppose, like the Umasa'ilam, we said, what's in it? And Hashem would have said, there's this mitzvah and that mitzvah and another mitzvah. And then he would have got to the, the posset which says, Loselech Rochel Ba'amechel. Losh and horror is out. What would we have said? <laughs> Sorry. But we said, Nasiv Why? So Leib Gurbitz put it like this. You know, every tomorrow night, the viber will light the candles, the husband goes to show, the ladies light the candles, you go to show, by the time you come back, the table's ready, etc., etc. But in between, as soon as the wife lights the candles, she does the next mitzvah, which she's machuf to do, which is she takes off and floats in midair for 10 minutes before you come back from show. Seen your wife do this? You remember your mother doing this? Of course not. It's insanity. There's no mitzvah to float in midair because you can't float in midair. Nor is, there, nor is there a mitzvah to walk through brick walls. You can't do that either. Or as the Gemara puts it, in a mock and bob yourself, Hashem doesn't mess you about. And if he's asking you to do it, even though you can't see how you can, it must be doable. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask you to do it in the first place. Does that make sense? So we don't see the whole thing. But let's go to Peachy, as he said to me. The whole idea of Eilam is something that people came up with because they imagine that life down here is so terrible that if we imagine that there's going to be a nice place upstairs, then life will be, you'll be able to put up with a miserable life down here because something's really geschmack upstairs coming. Peachy, as he said. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Uh, in a few weeks' time, I'll be back in England, in the Hashem. And uh, when I'm there, I often speak um, uh, in, a, in a famous school. I'll, actually, this time, I will be addressing the Scottish Parliament, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, yes. I will be giving a drosha 
to all the MPs of the Scottish Parliament. Mm, okay. Um, but there's a school there which I used to go and do regular assemblies at. It's called Chetham School of Music. It is a, one of the oldest music schools in Europe. And some of the most famous musicians in the world are trained there. It's actually Monish Gavaldi, very schmack. Before I speak, they always have one kid, sometimes two kids, or a duo, sometimes a trio, who play a piece of music, either Scottish music or Jewish music, in my honor. And they're all incredibly talented musicians. And this school is hundreds of years old. It's right next to the cathedral in Manchester. And it's got a famous medieval library, Chetham's Library, which is where the following words were written down, which is very similar to this rabbi's son who's got problems with the moon at the moment. See if you can guess who wrote this. Religious distress is at the same time the expression of real distress and a protest against real distress. Know who wrote this yet? Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world. It is the opium of the masses. Who wrote that? Karl Marx. And he wrote it in that library. So I go, that's where he sit, sat and did his research, and communism was written in that, in that we came up with in that library in, in Manchester, where I'll be in just a few weeks' time again. Something called Karl Marx, the founder of communism. Not such a nice fellow. Um, it is the opium of the masses. Karl Marx came to the northwest of England, Manchester. He saw the terrible conditions of working people in the cotton mills. And he therefore assumed, because he knew absolutely nothing about Yiddishkeit, his parents never became Geshmad, became Christians, and he became a communist. Um, they imagined that people, because their life was so terrible, they imagined that something nicer is coming. That was his, that's how he thought religion had come about with this. Anar is there. Nobody thinks that you go to Oilam Habal and they just say, oh, Rubenstein's here, Gavaldic! Let's have a big simca, wow. Oh no, there's a Dean Taura. Oh, and then did we get to the party? <laughs> Let's wait and see. They put in the DVD of my life. <laughs> I'd rather not see that. Interesting, Taka, some Mordekazach. If you do Teshuva, you press the delete button. Nagabaldic, everything you did wrong the embarrassing bits that are on that DVD. If you manage to do teshuva, it's deleted. Gavaldic. So you watch something great. But the emphasis is the idea that life is going to be peachy when you go upstairs. I'm sorry, my young Bocher friend, and certainly Karl Marx, that's not how it goes. You see, you go upstairs for the Dean Torah, but after the Dean Torah, it might not be, oh, well, so, so pleased to have you here, it might be, you're going elsewhere. So what makes you think it's going, to, it's going to be so gishmak? It's going to be so gewaldic? Maybe it's not going to be uh, gishmak uh, at all. The emesis that we, therefore, have a, a big surprise coming tonight. When I was talking to him, uh, it just struck me for the first time an amazing thing. Listen to this. You all know this. This is the Orachaim, Shulchan Aruch Orachaim, and there it is in Simon Memvov, the Sif David. Tzorech levorech bekol yoyim. You've got to bless every day. Shlosani goy, shlosani oved, shlosani isha. 
and of course Noshin they say Shosani Kodesai. Fine. The obvious question with this halacha, and we all know this, and this that we say every morning is, what's the obvious question? What should it say? Instead of Shalah Sani Goy, it should say, why isn't it in the positive? Why is it in the negative? Why, when we remind ourselves of our hischaibas, our responsibilities in the morning, do we say it in the negative? Shalah Sani Goy, Oi Bazoi, Ich bin a Yid. So I'm not saying, but Shosani Yid, Shosani Yehudi. Or Shosani Eovit, Shosani Ben Chorim. Why don't we say it in the positive? So the Morgan of Rome, on the side of the page, says, go on. Oh, quotes the Gemara in Erevin in, in, in Yud Gimel on the base. For two and a half years, there's a Machlauk between Beis Shammah and Beis Hill. And the question was, is it better to have been created or not to have been created? And the answer is, after two and a half years, what was the Maskona of that debate? Better not to have been created. So if you, uh, then this, why that would be a whole shame, it's all right. But anyway, to reduce it to a very simplistic and crude form, there are 613 mitzvahs, 365 don'ts, and 248 do's. There seems to be more chance of getting it wrong than getting it right. Oi bazoi, better not to be created. Then we can't get it wrong. The boys say, if that's true, the basic position of Yiddishkeit is we are doomed. It's hopeless. If it's better for us not to be created, if that's our Moscow, if that's our Hashkofa, then we're saying better not to be created. Except for the Rabsodic Hakon who says that Hashem only put a Bechina of Emes in the world. That's from our point of view. Because we don't see the whole picture. But in the whole picture for Shtetzach, if Hashem is Bara created us, then ultimately is a good idea to be created. It says that after all the breaches, it was Toiv Mo'id, but we don't see that because we only see a little bit of it. Sometimes we do see it. Sometimes we see more than we normally see. That's called a nace. I'm talking that's next week's server. The Ramban, and that's what we read. If you remember when I was here, saying this year last time, thanks to our dear Brad Dovid, who's our sponsor, um, then the Ramban says at the end of Parsha's boy, the big Nisim, the big miracles that we're reminding ourselves in the shrine are in order for us to see the small Nisim that happen in our lives every day. Kula is the Lush. To remind ourselves of the small miracles is a reminder of the fact that we don't see the whole thing. And even though we might look upon it as being hopeless, let's say Shalosani, because we can't say Shalosani, ultimately it's not hopeless because Hashem sees the whole thing and He made it, and therefore, Taka, there will be a time when there will be a third base of Mikdash. All this source will end. Hashem promises it. A little nace is a semen to the fact that you know what? There's things beyond your normal vision you should pay attention to. So since I last saw you, um, it was the week before Hanukkah, and I wasn't feeling great. I had pains. Pains in the chest, pains in the kidney, pains in the back, and worryingly, pains in my arm as well. But I've had lots of Tomedium who are doctors over the years, and I know what angina is, heart pain is, and this didn't feel like it at all. 
But, and you know, incidentally, as we're talking to, uh, it's a men's here, men are extraordinarily reluctant ever to go to doctors. Are you aware of this? Women are, they're, they quite happily go all the time. Uh, but men, uh, no, nothing wrong with men, ever. And we've got a doctor here and he's nodding and smiling at me. So he knows all about this. Well, ich bin a mensch. I am a male at the end of the day, but one isn't stupid. One is Scottish. Um, and so after two days of pains, I decided to send a text to my doctor, um, who is one of my close friends, uh, comes to my shirim at Gateways, and he lives in a place called uh, Highland Park in New Jersey. And we've just moved from Flatbush. We were there for four years, but got out for good behavior. And... Um, and we moved to a place called Inwood in the Five Towns, and we hadn't got ourselves a doctor. So I sent a text to my friend, the doctor, is there a, I've got pains in the chest, and pains in the, in the back, and pains in the kid. is there a bug going about? Yes, he said. Phew! Gewaldic! But by the next day, it was still there. And the next day. So then, I have a cousin who's a doctor in Burupak. A wonderful fellow called... Uh, Dr. Um, Aaron David Levinson, who apart from being a cousin, apart from being a doctor, is a friend of mine. And um, so I phoned him up and I said, Aaron David, this is the story. My doctor says there's nothing to worry about, but is there any way you could squeeze me in for an AKG and a, a check over the blood and all that stuff? Yeah. Drove from Inwood to, to, to Brooklyn and he did the AKG, which was perfect. And the blood pressure is like a teenager's, um, and he did the blood test. He said, listen to my heart. I don't think it's the heart, he said. It sounds fine. I think it's probably indigestion or a bug. <sighs> so, it was Thursday night. Friday, get ready for Shabbos, no problem. Shabbos morning, walking to Shul. After about 100 yards, pain in the chest and the arms. He's diagnosing this. He's having fun. Yeah. Uh, right. um, I stopped. As soon as I stopped, the pain went away. Uh-oh. Now it's connected to exertion. Mm. Walked another 50 yards. Because I've read about this in the book. See, it's a hard trying to get to. You've got to push it a little. Pain comes back. Mm. Went back home. Nice Shabbos. No problem. Didn't push up. Next day, Twinges, gave a shear in Yeshiv and Shor Yoshev, a couple of twinges. That night, one of the Bokram was getting married in Burupat. And so I drove to Burupat, walking from the car to the Chasna, more twinges. I thought, I must test to see if this is related to physical exertion. So when the, when the Chosen came in, I danced like a lunatic. <laughs> nothing, nothing, Gibaldic. Back to the car, still feeling not so good. Next day, my wife phoned me from the office. I've got pains in the chest, she said. And they want, that solo wants to take me to the hospital. I'm not sure. I don't want to go in an ambulance. Could you come and get me? I said, no, you should go in an ambulance. Of course, men are very good at sending other people to the doctor. You should go to the ambulance because they'll take you see you straight away if you go in with an ambulance crew and I'll follow behind you. And now this is Gibaldic. Because, I mean, she's got pains in the chest and I've got pains in the chest. It's obviously a bug. 
And I got to the hospital and in the emergency room, she's already been seen, and it's all, you know, do they all EKG and stuff like that, blah, blah. And about three hours later, when the doctor eventually came in, uh, he asked her what was wrong, and it's that interesting. When she was in the office, one of the guys in the office said to her, are you, look, are you feeling okay? And uh, she said, actually, no. No, he said afterwards, he didn't, know, he didn't know why I asked her that. He didn't know why I asked her that, because she looked fine. He said, I don't know why I said that. He said, we should send you in an ambulance, Atola ambulance. No, no, said my wife. Look, I've got a cousin in Atola, at least let me phone him. And so, she said, okay. So he gets out his cell phone, he phones the cousin, and guess what? He, my wife can hear the cousin's reply, not from the cell phone. By coincidence, the cousin was in the next office in business. So he comes in. That was a pretty fast response time by Atzola. Right? In he came, sent my wife to hospital. We were in there. Eventually the doctor comes. And um, to make sure that he gets the, direct, the correct diagnosis, we explained that I've had the same symptoms. The doctor said, I think you should get a stress test. You know what a stress test is? It's an EKG on a treadmill. Okay. This was Hanukkah. My wife has to stay in overnight for more tests. I go back. I light the Monero. And the next day I thought to myself, stress test. Stress. I get no MD in the neighborhood. I phoned my cousin. He doesn't know any MDs. I phoned my doctor. Nobody knows any cardiologist in the neighborhood. How am I going to get one? And then a thought came into my mind. You see, this was Monday. On Sunday, the day before, I'd been brought in at the last minute because a speaker who was scheduled to speak to the Beaker Choynim Society in the, in the Five Towns had dropped out. So they asked me a few days before where to come and speak. And Taka, I went. There was about a thousand ladies there. And there's a lady there who got in touch with my wife who we met eight years ago. She and her husband brought us to speak in the Five Towns. And she got in touch with my wife and said, I was so looking forward to hearing your husband. I'm, and I was disappointed he cancelled. Well, I said he didn't cancel. She'd get me mixed up with a guy who did cancel. And that was in my head. And then I was thinking, where will I get a doctor? Her husband's a doctor. In fact, her husband is called Dr. Mark Sicklick. And his email address is Dr. Duracell. You know the battery that keeps on going? He's had bypasses and he's got stents and he's got um, defibrillators and pacemakers and everything he can have and he's just in so much trouble with his heart so he calls himself Dr. Duracell he keeps on going I thought Mark and it was in my mind because the day before I'd been brought in to speak for Bikachoylium and guess what this woman had got it mixed up so I only had his email address sent a quick email Mark can you, how are you? Moved into the neighborhood, long time no speak, must be eight years. Can you recommend a cardiologist? So immediately emailed back, why do you want a cardiologist? So I told him, send it off to him. He goes straight on the phone. Right, you're going to see my cardiologist. And I'm going to phone, this guy saved my life 15 years ago, and he's absolutely brilliant. And you're going to go to him, and you won't have to worry about the, the medical secretary. I'm going to phone to make sure that you get an appointment straight away today. And I'll phone you back in five minutes. You'll phone them in five minutes and phone me back. So I phoned in five minutes, and instead I got the medical secretary. Who said that she could squeeze me in, in February 2047, 
Um, and so I, I emailed back to Mark saying I met the medical secretary, can't get in. He got through and then she phones me. She phones me, uh, the doctor would like to speak to you. I've got to fill in some paperwork, but here's the doctor. So a new doctor comes on the phone, a cardiologist, a wonderful fellow called David Weinstock. And David Weinstock says, what seems to be the problem, Rebbe? Any Rebbe of Mark Cyclic's a Rebbe of mine, tell me what's up. So I told him the story. He said, so when do you want to come in? I said, could I come in now? Come in straight away and we'll give you a stress test. So I went in, it was only a 20 minute drive, and a lovely, lovely guy from Guy, and I had the stress test and I'm on the old thingy-majiggy and pains in the chest. And he went, hmm. hmm. When doctors go, hmm, <laughs> gentlemen, there's something to worry about. So he said, come into my office. So I went into his office and he had there a heart. He said, this is your heart. Actually, that wasn't my heart. This is my heart. Um, all doctors have, you know, plastic models of the bit of the body that they specialize in. There was the heart. He said, this is the artery. Here's the center artery. And I think you've got a blocked artery. I think this artery here. It wasn't that one. It was the, the center one. So I'm going to send you to the emergency room uh, at the NASA, what it was called, Southern NASA Hospital. And uh, you just go straight into emergency and you tell them and they'll be waiting for you. Ten minutes to the hospital, I walked in and said, hello, I've got pains in the chest. Oh, are you Rabbi Rubenstein, said the lady. Yes, I said. Do you see that wheelchair, Rabbi Rubenstein? Yes, I said. Would you like to sit in it, she said. So I sat in the wheelchair and some big guy came and <laughs> And took me through to the emergency room where they did another AKG and they prodded me into blood and all sorts of stuff. And an hour and a half later, I was upstairs lying in the operating theatre and they were going to have a little look to see how my arteries were doing. And then we got a new doctor. And the new doctor is very nice, also Jewish. It's got to be Jewish. Um, <laughs> and there's a whole team, and he sits in one of these stools with wheels. So I'm there, lying down, and he, they put in, uh, in your groin, just where the leg joins the torso, they put in, in the main, the femoral artery, the big artery, they put this thing all the way up into your heart, and they can see if you get any blockages. So he says to me, so he scoots up in his little chair, he says, right. He says, talk to me, no, we're just gonna get in through your groin. If everything's okay, you'll be home in a couple of hours time. And if not, we'll put in a stent, whoosh. And down he went. And he starts prodding about down there, whoosh. He comes up and he said, right, the artery is completely blocked. So, so I'm going to try and open the artery with a little balloon, and then we'll see how it goes, whoosh. And he goes, push, right, it opened up very nicely. Now we're going to put in a stent. Push, and down he went. And half an hour later, I was done. So I had to stay in the hospital overnight. Uh, after two hours, they take out the, the tube. They keep it in just in case there's a problem. And uh, I was there, and the nurse, two nurses came in. Uh, one of them, um, they got to put pressure on there for 20 minutes to make sure that it stops bleeding. And we were talking, and she said, you've got an accent. I said, yes. Where am I from? I'm from Scotland. You've also got an accent. Yes. Where are you from? She's from, Jeru she was born in Jerusalem. Really, I said. Whereabouts in Jerusalem? The French hospital, she said. Oh, I said. That part of Jerusalem. Mm. So um, I was being attended to by a Palestinian Arab. <laughs> Yes, um, anyway, so soft called soft, very nice lady, looked after me very nicely, 
and here I am afterwards. And uh, somebody pointed out to me uh, that the next day they were advertising in the newspaper that my new safer is coming out soon. And my new safer is a new translation of Shah Betochen of the Chavos Levovos, and it's called Rufua Salev. And my wife said, it was fine, incidentally. They let her out of hospital, she was fine. There was no problem whatsoever, it's not, it's not recurred. And the heart was fine and everything was fine. The reason I went into hospital, she said, was simply and only to be told that there was nothing wrong with me, but you could find out that there was something wrong with you. So there are little nesting that happen in our lives all the time that lets us know that Hashem is there looking after us and has got a different perspective and sees the whole picture that we don't see. And as I told you before, Ramosha Feinstein and Ryakov Kamenetsky, Zachsadat Ivrocha, their last words, the last joint letter to Claudius Israel, what did they say? I mean, the newer old men is probably the last joint letter. Was it Kitaras Meshbocha better, Shabbos better, Limna Torah better, Tefillah, quiet and shit? No. Remember what they wrote? To American Jewry? Keep a diary. Keep a diary. If you want to know that there are little miracles in your life, if you want to know that Hashem is there, that the big miracles that we're reading about in the Parshas just now, as the Ramban says at the end of Parshas Boy, is to tell you the little miracles that happen all the time. Vazeh kol hatarakula. And it's Zeh kol hatarakula is to remind you that your perspective, the way that you see it, is limited. A nace opens your eyes. And there are nisim that happen all the time. So the young man who has got questions seems to have an open mind and an open ear. If you've got an open mind and an open ear and open eyes, you can get the answers to the questions you need. And you can also see that Hashem's in your life with a bigger picture available for those who pay attention and want to look. Wish you all a good Shabbos.